Look out. Surging up from the depths of the sea. Horrifying, mysterious creatures whose attack on people sends the whole countryside on an endless search. And unless something is done, and done quickly. Is this the end of our civilization? You pioneer with us the perilous descent into the unknown. What does that mean? What are you even talking about? A deep, penetrating dive. In the last calm and reflective moment, before the monsters came, from the deep dive. Welcome to the podcast Humanoids from the Deep Dive, where we dig deep into the meanings and contexts of your favorite monsters and monster movies. Each episode, we'll see guests and myself give our take on an important movie monster and its media and what we think it means using everything from history and philosophy to films and folklore. In today's episode, we continue our Pride celebration by chatting about two of our favorite films that have been claimed by by the LGBTQIA community, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, and Hellraiser. Fans of the show can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, basically anywhere in the universe you can find podcasts, you can find us, and you can also follow us on Twitter at HFTDeepDive. I'm your host, Jeff Ewing. I'm an entertainment contributor for Forbes, Looper, and elsewhere. I've written about everything from Frankenstein, the devil, to hell, and Jurassic Park, etc., etc. And if it's monsters, I'm obsessed with it. Because this is our Pride Celebration Month, we're bringing you all of our fantastic co-hosts, because this is about celebration. We have we have your Andrew Fleming done, we have your Mike Vaughn, we have your Luna Minwee, and we have your Andre Couture, four of the best co-hosts literally anywhere and we're here to talk about our favorites as part of our pride celebration thank you all for being here yeah thanks for having yeah it is a pleasure and folks at home thank you for joining us Uh, this is an important month to all of us so i think maybe the the best way to kind of start this because we're covering two films that are, are very near and dear to us is to maybe start chronologically with the second nightmare on elm street film and then We'll have a, a good discussion of that, move on to Hellraiser, and then get bigger with any residual remaining themes or patterns, etc. Nightmare on Elm Street 2, I- I'm assuming folks at home, you all know that the Nightmare on Elm Street series revolves around Freddy Krueger, basically this deceased and supernaturally empowered child predator that was murdered in a house fire by a bunch of angry parents, and he should have been, only to basically gain the power to invade the dreams of young people and murder them in increasingly surreal and terrifying ways. I'm sure y'all know exactly what that terrain is, but this is a sequel that took some interesting directional choices that made it very controversial in its day as the direct sequel to a very popular 1984 film, but we love it. So Nightmare on Elm Street 2 takes place five years after the first film and this family, the Walshes, have moved into the former home of the first film protagonist, Nancy Thompson. So their son, Jesse, has repeated nightmares of this blade-gloved man who continues to uh, attack him in an ever more spectacular and aggressive fashion. Wants to enter him? Wants to enter him. Yes, exactly. And, and and possess him so jesse there the, this family's son wakes up s- screaming in a cold sweat every single night with these nightmares uh at the same time he and his you know at, at first friend lisa quote unquote 
appear to share romantic feelings, but it's not at first really going anywhere for unexplained reasons. And then as uh, we watch him make friends with this male of the same age bracket, Grady, who kind of bond after initial antagonism, they're also challenged by this sadistic coach, Schneider. So these nightmares increase until Jesse finds himself awake, wandering around at night. He goes into unable to sleep. He, he wanders his way into a gay bar where he's found by a leather clad coach Schneider who sends, I guess he, they drive together. I don't know. Like <laughs> at the school to punish him to run laps, which I mean, if you find a oh uh, fun fact about the eighties, um, if you find out that your coach that had a suspicious reputation for torturing, you know, teenage boys for like kicks and you find him at a gay bar leather clad whatever he's not the one that has leverage over you you're the one that has leverage over him in the real world in 1980s america (laughs) but let's ignore that plot point so he sends them you know to to run laps as punishment the coach sends jesse and then when jesse's showering it culminates in this, and this, this is not even the end of it. This is just the buildup to this. We'll, we'll get into all of this more, this torture session where the coach is strung up by supernaturally empowered jump ropes. First, <laughs> his clothes are ripped off. He's like uh, whipped by supernaturally animated towels. Assaulted and, by balls. Yeah. And then, uh, Mofo gets it. He's dead. Uh, So Jesse's all traumatized. He comes home after wandering the streets naked. And then, this might surprise you, the plot escalates from there. So that's just the first (laughs) real emergence of Mm -hmm. some undeniable subtext that have already been present. So that's we'll we'll get to the rest of it later. I won't spoil all of it right now, but... I just want to say real quick, uh, the scene where he's found by his gym teacher in the in, in the gay bar the leather bar uh and then the the next scene where he makes him run laps it's a hard cut like there's yeah you don't know how they got yes. there. Yeah. like very for, confusing for all we know like yeah this bar was right next door to the school <laughs> they just walked together it was connected to the gym yeah exactly and it's, it's actually yeah. not that much of a nuanced cut either <laughs> to get to the gay bar it's basically like he can't sleep he's at a gay bar he's yeah. at the school yeah. But see, it's like, where do you live? Yeah, did they like <laughs> awkwardly? This is why, like, I imagine him awkwardly driving with the coach to yeah the school's track. Like, I, I want to see that scene. Yeah, like, what did they talk about? Yeah, what music did they listen to? <laughs> Country music, probably. <laughs> like, so, I, I I get like how jarring that is, but like I kind of like I kind of love it because Eve. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, Eve, like, because it. it there's like a, a total dream like feeling of like. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, probably not intentionally, but for an Elm Street movie, (laughs) that's kind of that's kind of brilliant. You know, it it follows right, like like it follows the stream logic. Absolutely, it's dream logic, and then you're there. Well, it's, it's also 100% yeah, especially for a character who is not sure like what's real and what's not because like mm-hmm. when he thinks he's sleeping, he's he might be awake. When he's awake, he, mm-hmm. like he has to question we, all of that. It should be noted that when this film was released and for a very long time, both the director and the screenwriter denied 
any of it was on purpose. Like they're like, this Bullshit. accidentally happened. So they're either admitting to being the most incompetent people on planet and who accidentally stumbled into like everything or it's, it's, because no. it's it's plain so, text. I just don't know why Shoulder yeah. to this day will not admit that he made a gay movie. Yeah, and it's so weird too because not not just the uh, the pro the male protagonist, and we we could talk about all this in, in in a hot minute. But but I love that not only is he like, of course you know that this is in there, but then even Robert Englund, who who plays <laughs> Freddy Krueger, was like, of course that's in there. I saw that from moment one. I was yeah. the one that suggested he deep throats my claws. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just leaned into it and I, I love that part of me just loves the idea that they buster keaton their way into the subtext just sheer incompetent flipping like they jar jar binks yeah you know oops. No, all i have to say about the the, <laughs> the possibilities of the writer not knowing that the film is like literally layered in it's caked in gay subtext the only way he would know if he truly did know I have an uncomfortable conversation to have with his wife. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because this is so caked in it. it. It Either he's lying and just unwilling to try to distance himself from it. Or it'd be like if uh, if the writer of Secretary was like, no, this is just about like a boss and a secretary. <laughs> yeah. Bondage what? There's BDSM themes? I mean, so... so- Here's like my kind of theory. Like, I think it's like something he didn't want to admit to. He told the lie and it's like, oh shit, I got to, this is the lie I told. I kind of have to stick with it. Yeah. That's not <laughs> honestly the best, ex- the most plausible explanation. There's actually a quote that I saw from him, uh, actually in the Scream Queen documentary where he admits that he wrote all of that to, uh, to come off as homophobic, but mm-hmm. because the the actor was publicly gay uh, but wasn't they forced him yeah. out like that's a, kind of like the shadow that's that the looms thing, yeah. over this film is that they forced an actor out of the closet yeah then his denying that there were like homoerotic subtexts or texts uh, <laughs> like he even like he admitted it like 30 plus years later but then he said it was more fun to deny it so, I mean, I'm just saying, fuck this guy. What yeah, a fucking asshole. yeah, pretty much. Yeah, um, but the the Jack Shoulder thing is always because he still denies. I didn't know he still to this day is like I, I just dude. You have a scene where a sweaty man in his like tidy whities wakes up <laughs> to a bunch of melting phallic candles that are like dripping white wax. Like, what what do you think <laughs> you're doing, dude? I mean, I legitimately think Jack Shoulder just really didn't. Like, yeah, that's it's didn't get it. that's so fascinating to me. But he, like, he subconsciously understood it, but like, had no idea why he was making these choices. Just cracks me up. Well, and also, yeah. like, one thing that I read about was interesting is that like the original draft of the script had a lot less emphasis on Lisa mm. until mm. Uh, the quote unquote girlfriend until Wes Craven mm-hmm. intervened, and it shifted the focus somewhat from jesse and made it more of a shared script when so basically like it used to be more explicitly like more text less subtext it's way. still text <laughs> yeah this is like yeah, but, but it used to be more so wow <laughs> <laughs> oh, how 
<laughs> I want to get into reviews for a little bit. Anyone have a preference on on who goes first? Anyone have a burning desire? I, I have a lot of thoughts about this because I'm a, I'm a huge Nightmare on Elm Street fan. It was a seminal film for me. I saw it really young. Like I remember the experience of watching it on afternoon cable and being terrified. And so I, I immediately went to the video store and, and got two, three, and four. And I watched them in a single sitting one night. And uh, I was alone in the apartment. And, and two is the one that scared me the most. I think it's on a film level, it's a wildly incompetent script that has some very interesting themes. And, and depending on how you believe it, it was conceived. It, it There's some interesting... It almost lucked into some interesting stuff. Um, but there's... For me, like the, the film's just kind of okay. Um, but I think it's maybe the most interesting film in the series. Um, I think it's worthy of a lot of discussion because on, on a lot of different levels. Because you could go into the gay uh, text of the film. You could go into how absolutely frightening Robert England is. I think this is in makeup terms and his performance. This is the scariest Freddy for me. Um, there's a menace to him. And I could never quite put my finger on it because mm -hmm. I saw the movie Young. Um, like prepubescent and when I got a little bit older it hit me what this movie was doing and I'm like oh shit and that was kind of the underlying sexuality of it to me is like as a child was uncomfortable because it's it's so blatantly there like I knew these things were there but I, I didn't mm -hmm. understand them because I was like a fucking idiot kid um, <laughs> you know and then like as I grew older like I, I started to I think it's like a movie I appreciate more than I actually like because there's there's some interesting shit going on, but then it also pulls out like a pretty ugly trope at the end, and kind of abandons all of its themes, but doesn't. But makes the act of Jesse being either homosexual or bisexual, it makes it like a punishment, you know? Because like you could read the ending of the film as like it's still here, you didn't get past any of it, but it, yeah, it's like something you should kill. Yeah, and it's it's you know don't worry the straight lifestyle it almost feels like a gay conversion film by the end of it and i have a lot of yeah. really mixed feelings mm -hmm. about this film and it's it's worthy of discussion and i appreciate that it allows discussion as a as a quickie slasher film because it came out like a year roughly a year after the first one this is a quickie mm -hmm. and i i i you know like it's it's not very good, but it, it's worth the watch. Um, and it's, I, I absolutely believe it's like every horror fan. It's like worth your time. Like really approach this film for what, it, what it's actually doing. And it's a fascinating experience through, you know, a, an almost interesting look at a man's journey through discovery, dosed with like an unfortunate amount of homophobia. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. I think that's the part of the film that isn't discussed enough is that that third act is almost, a, it's, I, I read it as a conversion the last time I watched it. This is like conversion therapy and it's gross and it's dated as hell, but it's an important time capsule. And then I, I think really accompanying it with like a double feature with scream queen, um, maybe even doing scream queen first to give you the context of the film and the mm -hmm. time because queer culture was very different in 1985. Mm -hmm. And yep. it's 
it's a hard movie to watch in a lot of ways and especially after screen queen because i watched screen queen for the first time last night and you almost forget because things are very different now but like i was born around this time and it was very that's a whole other discussion on a whole other show Mm -hmm. very different time but i think it's almost like when you I, I always tell people to watch Troll 2 with Best Worst Movie because it gives you wonderful context to this wacky thing. And I think Screen Queen adds an incredibly wonderful context to this film. Um, not wonderful always in terms of what it's displaying, but if you need to understand this movie and the climate of the time and why this movie is the way it is, I think Screen Queen's essential to it as as 21st century viewing. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's... Uh... That's a very apt caveat, and I, I, I definitely agree that like, uh, you you definitely need the context to understand both why it yep. was the way it was and the effect that it had mm-hmm. on its star and his life is is tragic. Yes, in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, so I'm glad now at least that we can. I mean, it's too late for to fix yeah. the past for, for him in a lot of ways, but I'm glad at least that we can look at it with fresh eyes in a modern era and honor him in some ways because yes. he deserves it. Because I, I would also say he's, I actually like the cast of this movie quite a bit. I think it's actually, they're, they're decent. Grady, him, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Like I remember them as characters, uh, maybe not so much Lisa's friend, but like Grady and, and Jesse, he's really good in the movie. And mm-hmm. He has an actual character, but they, he has an aborted character arc. They never really complete Jesse's journey, and that's right. That's a huge problem yeah. in this movie. Um, yeah, that, that might have something to do with uh, the the intentional uh, homophobic aspect mm-hmm. that David Chaskin was mentioning. Mm-hmm. That maybe he did intend for it to be an allegory for uh, conversion therapy. <sighs> yeah, convert. I'm sorry if I because, called it transition earlier. Yeah. Conversion is what I meant. No. Yeah. But yeah, it just it just it came off to me as quite a bit sickening, and like you know, um, obviously, if literally you're being inhabited by uh, Freddy Krueger or some sort of sort of like dream demon, yeah, I mean, you should probably really do something about that. But because this is very clearly an allegory of of like sexual uh, awakening, yeah, both that like sexual awakening for the insider and like the AIDS epidemic for the outsider. Mm-hmm. Uh, like accusing gay people of uh, spreading this virus and mm-hmm. uh, just being a danger to society. Like it, it, it's really, really problematic. I think yep. that's a read. That's a, I mean, it's a definite read. You could look at the pool scene as Freddy Krueger as AIDS spreads through the teenagers. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, as they're getting promiscuous at this party because and- of one young man's sexual awakening. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, because of one gay man's sexual awakening because he, you know it's there's a real ugly side it's it's a strange movie though because then you look at jesse and he's portrayed sympathetically and his parents i think would actually be parents who would be supportive of him coming yeah, out because mm-hmm. like his dad is a jerk but not in a homophobic way right and he no. softens as the film goes along absolutely yeah, and it's he's just a strict know, father but he's not like emasculating he's not, not aggressive hateful. He's not at, just, all. not at all. It tries to have it both ways, and it's ugly in that that it tries yeah. to, I think, exploit yeah. both sides mm-hmm. for its own gain. And there's like, right. I, I really have a lot of questions for its writer because Scream Queen. I wanted to. I'm not advocating violence ever, but I wanted to punch him in the face. 
because everything he said just seemed to yeah. make it yeah. worse for me. And I was going like, to say this for my comments, but I will slap him yeah. in public. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got slapping hands. I can help. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's very humanoid slapping. Yes. You wrote Nightmare on Elm Street? Yes. Yeah. It's. <laughs> it's flawless just, victory. Just like that. It's ugly. Exactly. Simple. That, well, what, how many stars would you give it out of five? I want to. In all honesty, like probably two. <laughs> I get that. I get that. Andre, I, I know you started to dig in a little bit. I kind of want to know what your review would be. Yeah. The, the first half of this really just kind of feels more like. Uh, so I, I, I guess I want to preface it by saying that Jack Shoulder admittedly has, had never seen Nightmare on Elm Street. He didn't even know what it was about or anything. So he just decided to run with whatever crazy shit uh, he was ready to go with. Um, so. He had the script from David Chaskin, and he was going through pre-production, and uh, he admittedly said that I, I didn't know how to do any of this, so I spent the entirety of pre-production just having a continuous anxiety attack. Uh, so <laughs> I don't think he was cognizant of anything that transpired during that point, which is like... 100% essential to the production of the actual film. Because, <laughs> like, uh, in, in the Scream Queen documentary, it, it, it did show some of the, like, color storyboards of of that great scene where, like, Jesse has, like, the 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 knives coming out of his fingers and his arm splits open mm-hmm. and Freddy comes out of his stomach, which I think is fucking great imagery. Yes. But I think that uh, that's something that I think Jack Shoulder was really more concerned about on a technical level because it needed to, if not like match the, uh, the technical and visual prowess of the first movie one up it, or at least offer something new and different, which I think on that level, it, it definitely does mm-hmm. in spades. Uh, so th- that means that his attention was away from the actual content of the film mm-hmm. and the context. And I think as as a straight white male, he probably didn't even give a second thought to uh, the inherent sexuality of individuals that were involved in the making of this, and mm-hmm. probably never even talked to David Chaskin about uh, what his intentions were, because obviously our intention is to make the second film in a franchise, we're going to make this a big blockbuster, uh, it's going to make New Line Cinema, a whole bunch of money, whatever, who cares, Like, let's just make this slasher movie yeah Uh, from there i I think he was just pulling from uh, a lot of possession style um narratives and it the first half kind of reads like an amityville horror movie yeah uh kind of like amityville 2 the possession but with a little bit less of an external fear of like becoming the killer because uh the spirit is going to uh make you you know, kill your parents or whatever, mm-hmm. but rather just using the Freddy imagery to flip it. Like yeah. He's, he's inside you and he's going to make you do these things uh, while you're quote unquote asleep mm-hmm. uh, and sort of blur the line between real and unreal. But um, then I, I think uh, the, the production and the actors and the writer made some sort of like uh, 
I don't know what to call it. I, I guess a he just put his own twist uh, partway through that uh, just changed how everything um, goes forward and feels mm-hmm. for the movie. And uh, I mean, it, it, it's sort of the, the same thing that Andrew was saying about uh, like the third act feeling like it's, it's betraying the, like the redemption arc for Jesse mm-hmm. or uh, all of a sudden he's now like into this girl that um, they were clearly being uh, spending time platonically, you know, just like checking out the diary of Heather from the first movie. Nothing really connects in a logical way. No. And not in a way that's like uh, usual for a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. It's like basic logical stuff that just gets thrown out the window. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It- so it, it seems like there is some there was some reconfiguring behind the curtain in like a more sinister way. And that being said, I, I think the, the intent was to be harmful to, uh, to the gay community. I, I think that the way that Jesse and uh, Robert England's character sort of just decided to pilot the ship and take it in their own direction mm-hmm. sort of steals the power that David Chaskin was trying to wield mm-hmm. with turning uh, the gay into the other and like you can see that the, the ship is sort of turning the opposite direction near the end and while it's not perfect I, I do like it quite a bit um, so like leading into that my my review would probably be about a three and a half okay out of five. okay that's fair um, just being aware of of everything that that went on there, yeah, yeah, like think, it's like the, the distinction between the the script and its intention versus the totality of the end product. Yep, I get that. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Uh, thank you, um, Luna or Mike. Uh, do you have a preference? I can jump in. Cool. Um, so, given everything that we've talked about so far, I do want to add, like, for me and the role of the Freddy franchise. Um, in my life, like the first Freddy movie was the first truly horrific movie I think I watched um, in a way that haunted me nonstop. And I, I was like a scaredy cat kid. Like I grew up pretty sheltered from anything scary. Um, and my sisters, I'm the youngest and my sisters like, absolutely adored terrifying me from a young age and so i i stayed away from the stuff um because it was like this weapon that my sisters could wield over me and i was like well i'm just not gonna watch it um Mm -hmm. and then eventually of course that changed um and i watched the first one and i was like i'm not watching that again i'm never watching that movie again there's no way um And then later on, I watched it again and I was like, okay, but this is thrilling in a fun way. And then I watched the second one and then I watched the third one. And in that context, like the Freddy franchise was the, was the one that I watched when I wanted to be absolutely wrecked for a few nights. Um, And so I feel that like the second movie 
the first one's my favorite. The first one by far mm-hmm. is a masterpiece. The second movie, I it doesn't measure up to the first one, frankly, to me. Um, mm-hmm. But going back and watching it by itself, not in a marathon, just going back and rewatching Freddy's Revenge, I um, I actually really like the movie from watching it from my current body and current mind. I think that, yes, there are some horrific messages uh, in the coding that's happening, in the making of the film, in the behavior of the makers of the film. Absolutely. And the all of that to say that it created this film that we are still talking about today and is worth watching even if you didn't watch it as a kid just so that you can have this discourse I think that that's a powerful thing and I think that's one of the Mm -hmm. reasons why I love film Mm -hmm. so um, I think while I also, I want to add that, like, I'm watching this from a different perspective than, I mean, certainly all of you on this podcast of being a woman and um, non-white and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The, The different interpretations that I've had over the years have been, I mean, wildly different. Like, thinking back to the first time I watched it, I was just like, ah, oh, the otherness, ah, uh, whatever. And then uh, later on I watched it and I was like, oh, the romance aspect. Oh, the sexual awakening aspect. And is he romantic but not sexually interested in this person? Like, there are so many layers there, especially now that we're talking about romanticism and sexuality being together but different. Um, I just despite all of the things that we've already discussed, I still think that it's a powerful film and I enjoy watching it. I enjoy being like being forced to think about some of these questionable things and uh, reevaluating how I feel and what my feelings are outside of the film about the film. It, it makes me think about my own identity and in that way, I would give it a, I would give it a 3.5. I was going to give it a 4, but, um, I mean, that first one's just so good, so. <laughs> it's really hard to, like, top that. It, it is. The first one is really yeah. just so good. So I mean, striking. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's still, honestly, the first one is one of my favorite uh, horror films of the entire 80s decade, so. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's... that's reasonable. I'd argue no it's Craven's best film, just on a technical level, mm-hmm. scripting. Mm-hmm. It's such a tight, concise script. Ugh, it's and it's so high cool. concept as hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's beautifully creative. Yeah. Um, it, absolutely. Well, thank you for that so much. Um, absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about some of the themes for, for all of y'all when I give my own, but uh, couldn't agree more on, on all of that. I have a very complicated relationship to this film which we'll get to, but, but thank you all so far, Mike, uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So I, I, I think, uh, I kind of echo, uh, 
and was actually going to say that um, I also have a very complicated relationship with this movie because there's aspects that I, I really like and I think that are fun. Um, like Clue Gulliger's always a win. Uh, an exploding <laughs> parrot's always a win. Uh, <laughs> you know, random creature dog. Oh, with the human faces. Up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's always a win. Like, but but the thing is, like, um, I came to this movie probably like really young, and all that, like, the homoerotic, not even undertone, but overtone, kind of went over <laughs> over my head. And then you know when I watched it more like late teens and definitely like early um, like twenties, um then it was like, oh yeah, duh. Uh, you know, like the leather bar, <laughs> uh, everything. Mm -hmm. and, uh -huh. and, you know, it, it's interesting because like, I, you know, this is, this is where, you know, it's really hard for me to reconcile the movie because, you know, again, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's the old kind of standard trope of, you know, gay, bad, gay, different, um, gay the monster you know what i mean like it, it's yep. you know and and it's such a lazy stupid dumb hateful hurtful trope um mm -hmm. and like like some of the some of like the queer coded monster stuff i i mean like with like like the frankenstein's monster it's it's what that was directed by a gay man so <laughs> you know there's like a monster that is sympathetic and mm -hmm. is not really, I mean, is a monster, but not really. Um, yeah. Like not, not actually like definitely not the villain of the film. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, so there's, there's ways you can like queer code uh, a monster without it being like horrible and dated. And uh, you know, but like that bucks up against like, there's things I, get a kick out of uh you know it's so campy but then the message is awful but then mm -hmm. it has things i like but then it's also kind of like what andrew said it was kind of a like you can read it as like an interp uh um you know a metaphor for uh conversion therapy um mm -hmm. and then you can also read it as a uh aids e epidemic thing and then you know then you layer that on with like the horrific backstory with with mark and all the all the pain he went through with it and it's like mm -hmm. it so you know i mean it's like it's like hard to enjoy like i used used to um i mean yeah like i, I I've, I've always kind of like known it was poorly made i mean even before you know i could really articulate it i could tell that the structure was bad the <laughs> mm -hmm. plotting is nonsensical pretty much um i mean there's so many issues but it's you know again it's like so technically interesting i mean it 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 expands uh the film without just retreading it um like i liked how you know they made freddy like i th I, I gotta say hands down i think like elm street 2 is like the best freddy makeup and like yes yes i, I definitely yeah, agree with that like yeah. Um, so mm -hmm. I mean, it, you know, Kevin I, Yeager. Yeah, exactly. And like, I don't mind like, like I don't mind like the campier Freddy, 
but I feel like this was when we were really start. We were still trying to make him like legitimately fucking terrifying. Yeah. Um. So again, it's like this. It's it's like this stuff just. It's like it it tears me in half. I mean, it's so weird to have these complicated feelings about Elm Street too. But yeah, oh, I mean, oh, I get it. It, it's funny because you know after you watch that doc, the Scream Queen uh, documentary, um, which is on Shutter, you should all definitely check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, like yeah. listeners. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, it, it's like you know watching that movie and then watching the actual like the documentary and then watching the movie. It's like wow, you just you know knowing the full story with Mark. And I mean, how that basically kind of uh, destroyed a really promising career um, mm-hmm. and kind of forced him yeah. almost to be become a re- recluse um, mm-hmm. just is awful and, ter- and you know, terrible. And, um, you know, again, can you know, I think we, we always come up to this like, uh, you know, uh, our overarching theme of like creator intent and um you know can you separate the um real life from the behind the scenes and i think it's interesting and you know i I've, i'm sure this will be like a broader conversation um with with all y'all but i think you know is it even possible for uh the community to, to take this movie back um, cause I know it was interesting in the documentary, they would screen it. Like, I think Peaches Christ, um, like had like, a like a watch mm-hmm. uh, party thing. And, you know, I mean, that's like, I think that'll make a really cool discussion because I mean, you know, is this something that we can take back as, as ours? Is that even possible? I mean, would we even want to, and what's, I mean, is it important to, or not? Um, you know. I always believe that's kind of left on the individual, right? Because everybody takes uh, how many people have been Jesse and maybe how many people still are Jesse. Because I think it's as ugly as maybe some of the intentions are and maybe as as inept as this fucking movie really kind of is on a creative level and an execution level. There is a strange power to it and it does. How many... This movie has inspired decades of conversation. Uh, Tons of words, both spoken and written, have you know this movie's inspired them this it's we're we're doing it right now and you can't say that about friday the 13th part two you can't say that about halloween two this this movie is there's something i think you can take it back and i think we should because you know sometimes fuck intent and fuck creators they inadvertently made something that's oddly powerful and they made something that a lot of people have attached to. And it's people can read into it how they want. And our problematic reads are are not things I've seen a lot of people talk about, which is unfortunate Mm -hmm. because I think, but I think scream queen, I think a lot of this rests on almost Mark Patton, his acceptance of it and his being able to reclaim it, I think is the big, you know, he does. And I think we should too, because we should talk about these ugly parts, these really ugly parts of it. We should mm-hmm. remind people that 1985 in terms of queer rights was terrible and treatment was terrible. And that the AIDS epidemic when it first hit was absolutely frightening. I mean, they would, they would, uh, 
approach patients with hazmat suits because mm -hmm. they didn't know yeah. how it spread. I, I can't stress this enough, I think, for anybody who's new to it. Watch Scream Queen. And also watch, I think, uh, Luna, you hit it right on the head. Watch Nightmare 2 separated from the first one. Don't binge it within the yeah, franchise. Yeah. Separate your viewing from it. Yeah, like know who Freddy is, but watch it on its own terms. Yes. Right. And you have a fascinating, interesting, conflicting... I don't know. It's like a weirdly, achingly human movie within a franchise, like a cold franchise environment. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting to see what this movie's legacy is going to be. I mean, like, because, I mean, it's it's already been, like, what, 30 plus years. But, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, like, even younger generations, if, mm -hmm. like, how we're going to take this. Like, will this be, like, a Song of the South where we kind of collectively decide to ignore it or... I don't know. I mean, it's it's oddly fascinating. I um I mentioned this before we were recorded. I had a nightmare last night that there was a third movie that I was supposed to watch before this, and apparently there was, <laughs> and apparently it was Scream Queen. I did not watch it. Um, I so just for context, moving forward, I have I I have not seen this documentary, but I will say that my my analysis and everything that I have to talk about about this movie is from the pers perspective of reclaiming it. I am not a white gay man, um, but I am a queer woman. And in my personal view, in my mind, in my heart, I have reclaimed this film. Um, and I have a lot of reasons for that. But, and we'll talk about it later, but I do think it's possible um, but I agree with Andrew. It is kind of up to the individual. Uh, to me, I think there is a lot of hope in this movie, uh, believe it or not. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll talk about it later. But sorry, I did not watch the required watching that I was not told about. <laughs> Look, all I'm going to say is that for the folks at home, this show is so good that we don't even cover a Nightmare on Elm Street film without having a nightmare about the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's mandatory you're welcome america um, and the rest of the world i don't think it was necessarily required but i think we all kind of just gravitated towards it just because like it's just it, nice this is what i get for not keeping up with the chat um, sorry y'all nice. <laughs> i just kind of <laughs> accidentally have i think because it's also one of these films that I, I i think all of us have seen a bajillion more than, times more than once <laughs> like mm -hmm. we know this film pretty well and you know, and that speaks to it as well because it's it's as weirdly separate from the series as it is. As, as much as fans kind of rejected it for a while, it's the one people talk about the most. Yeah, other than the first one, yeah. Other, um, yeah, even more yeah, so. Than yeah, the first I mean, one. I don't hear a lot of discourse about Dream Warriors, which is like amazing, a badass uh, mm -hmm. installation of the series, but yeah. like not nearly as deep as a conversation as Freddy's Revenge yeah. gets. Um, I, I do want to make sure that we don't miss out on uh, Mike. How many stars would you give it? Uh, so I, so I'm probably skewing on maybe like uh, I would still probably give it a three. I mean, I I do enjoy it. I mean, I feel like I will probably get to a place where I can maybe reclaim it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I and again, it's just it's so weird because like there's things there's so many cool things that I love about it. And there's so many things I don't love about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's so conflicting, but then I also find that, um, 
you know, hugely fascinating and interesting and at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much. Um, my review is going to sound redundant because all y'all are so smart. It's it's interesting for me, too, because on the one hand, uh, David Chaskin probably <laughs> did intend for heavy homophobia. I will slap you, man. I will find you. I will slap you. <laughs> and so he had this bad intention and then it didn't re- my read of the film as a whole is that it didn't really get reinforced in the tone of the film that much from a combination of Jack's shoulder just worrying about the technical aspects and not really getting not steering it in any direction and then you have uh Mark Patton who gave a, a brilliant performance with a lot of pathos and a lot of humanity mm-hmm. to Jesse and then Robert England also getting it and getting the subtext and leaning into it in a, in a constructive way that together the film became much better than what it was intended as. So there's in terms of what happens at the end, it does kind of read like a conversion camp sort of pitch meeting um, because of just the, what that happens, but not because of the tone of the film, not because of the performances of the film. They just didn't, finish fixing the plot but as a consequence you have this like film that is more than this some of its parts because the captain was asleep at a very bad wheel and so the performers were able to make it far better than it should have been and more interesting than it should have been and so it's a really interesting film to me when we when we talk about reclaiming it because I feel like, well, as like a, as a bi man, you. Ha- I feel like we have to, because so it was weird for me because now looking back in the totality of my life, like I was I was bi the whole time, and I know that. But when I was growing up, I grew up in Eastern Washington. You know, in the I was born in '86. So basically, I grew up in the 90s and in eastern Washington, which is kind of backwoodsy for a medium-sized town. Even now, there are no bi... There are slightly more than no bi-male characters of any depth in film and TV history. They still don't exist, more than not. And especially in the 90s when you're growing up, right? Like, if you're going to look at gay male representation by male representation doesn't happen so if you're going to look at gay male representation you're going to get like homophobic jokes on friends like that's there's nothing in eastern washington there aren't any icons really to look up to that 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 made their way uh behind as as some people have lovingly referred to the pine tree curtain there's fucking nothing and so i didn't even know i didn't have a concept to process being by growing up and it wasn't until later in life when I knew stuff about the world that I could look back and be like, that's why I was, that's why things were so weird. Uh, and so for me, this movie reads because he sh- continues to show attraction towards and romantic interest in uh, the Lisa character. I read his character as by. Although I do think reading him as gay and trying to come to terms of it is a completely valid read. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence of that, uh, I, I feel like it has to be reclaimed despite the fact that there are a lot of problematic aspects of it. Because otherwise, the number of bi-male characters in film goes down to almost zero. 
I have to give it a three and a half. I think that's legit. I I also read his character as bi. Mm-hmm. I've never got like a real read on Jesse because like the the movie just throws so many different things. It just kind of it's mm-hmm. like throwing spaghetti at the wall and just kind of reading the individual noodles because you got the hateful shit, you got the hopeful shit because he does paint such a. The, Jesse is completely sympathetic. I'd argue Jesse's the best character in the series that isn't named Freddy Krueger, and um, because he's an actual character and there's, there's depth mm-hmm. there, and, and and his parents would probably be very supportive. I always got the read because they love their son. His friends, Grady, who is very much like a straight alpha male, didn't seem to care if you re- if you look into the metaphor of male yeah. struggling. Mm-hmm. Grady was just like, whatever. You're my friend. You're you know, you're Jesse. Like it's cool. Yeah, like yeah. when he shows up walking the street naked from a gay yeah. bar, like <laughs> his dad, who was stern but didn't read as like homophobic or emasculating, was just like, first of all, are you on drugs? Like he was checking <laughs> in to see if he was fine before like he was anything else. And it was just like, do you have anything to like yeah. talk about? Do you want to say something to us? Like and, and Jesse's like, no, I just want to go. It, it felt like a weird like you should hate yourself. It, it, I felt like really claustrophobic with Jesse um, mm-hmm. and that the world was more welcome. And I, I think that's kind of an interesting kind of take is, is the person who, who hates themselves so much that they, they mutate this desire into something negative. And I, it, it, there's so many different reads like this. That's partly why I, I rate it so low is that just the movie is sloppy and doesn't know mm-hmm. what it is and but fuck it's it's apparently so much like <laughs> i should clarify i don't i i read his character as gay like as far as like as homosexual i mm-hmm. read mm-hmm. him i believe he can have r- romantic um relationships yeah. with women yes just mm-hmm. not sexual ones yeah, that's that's a, that's a valid distinction. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I get that. I really do want to say thumbs up to Mark Patton because it's a really good performance, actually. Amazing. Like, mm-hmm. It's really good, yeah. and he's and everything he was going through, his conflicts with the character itself and his treatment is just bravo, dude. You deserve mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, realistically speaking, if you're going to be entirely neutral about it, the film is a film that was wholly intended to be shitty like it was intended to be a very bad film that wouldn't stand up and the only reason we would even talk about it now is hey remember when i had that really shitty sequel to a good movie but then the performances made it something better than it should have been absolutely they didn't even want england in it like apparently his doubles yeah. in there. Like that clip where they showed him in the showing up in the shower and the way he walks mm-hmm. is hilarious. Like that's how little they everyone thought of this movie except for an actually pretty decent cast. Like Lisa, I, I always liked her. Like I like these yeah. people. Brady, like yeah, it's really good. They all have very nuanced performances. Like mm-hmm. uh, yeah. even Coach Schneider was, you know, kind of the standard coach character made um, more villainous and then he dies but he wasn't totally stereotypical Mm -mm. i could totally imagine him i kind of wish snyder became like a competing dream demon because he was one step away from freddy krueger like that guy (laughs) it was menacing it was one of those things like because i saw this too young 
I didn't understand the sexual undertones of any. I didn't really know what sex was, and I missed all of that. So, like, for me, like, I have like very mixed feelings about just representation in this film because as a child, I was presented with these blatantly homosexual themes as scary and mm-hmm. threatening, and you know, and you can read that into the. Uh, Part of that's part of what I, th- I thought was really interesting. My last time I watched it was like almost every male in this film is an overbearing authority figure that is like a yeah. hyper masculine equivalent. Like you have the stressed out dad who works the hardcore job to get the family, the mm-hmm. house, and, and then you have this. Got to keep the birds coming because they keep exploding. <laughs> they keep exploding. <laughs> then you have like the hard ass gym teacher. Then you you know you have Grady who's like this athletic alpha male, and Jesse's shown to be a pretty adept sportsman too. But it goes against the you know. Uh, gay men just have to be like perfectly effeminate and can't play sport you know what i mean like that stereotype mm-hmm. and he's because jesse doesn't fit that mold because jesse's just a person and I, I it's one of those things i really love about this film and then it's just like they but the mixed messages they throw at jesse about how he should feel about himself mm-hmm. like i wonder if part of that could be read as like you know that that conflict that i think a lot of people do go through with like who am i why am i is it acceptable am i abnormal is this wrong because i want these things because i need these things because i am these things mm-hmm. it's such a complicated terrible movie i don't know it's, it's... yeah, yeah. Uh, one thing uh, worth i, I think uh, I, I found pretty interesting uh just hearing you uh talk about that andrew was the uh, so Coach Schneider's um, portrayal mm-hmm. like doesn't receive any of that like uh, malice, that tumultuous nature, like being directly uh, hit with all of these things with like otherisms. Like he's found at like a leather bar, and then he um, punishes Jesse's character for like being at the bar, which he's definitely too young to be at. But like, he just receives a death that anyone would have gotten yes. from Freddy, and mm-hmm. it's like, uh, it, I found it really interesting that he didn't. Coach Snyder isn't under the same scrutinization that Jesse is. Yes, but he was yeah. clearly going so, to assault. Like, what is Jesse? Because about Jesse's character, I, 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 I have such issues with Snyder, and like Marshall Bell seems like a decent, very decent chap. He's in a lot of stuff, but like, he's getting those like jump ropes together like he's going to continue it there's obviously like a very strange bdsm sexual undertone and he's preying on a student which once again is a negative stereotype yeah you know within the well, community that the homosexuals are going to prey on your children and turn them all into the yeah and- well and then and then you also have these um you know you even establish like that that's important to the plot that predatory potential because yes. um uh because they even mention when they're forced to do push-ups and stuff that that's his reputation, and then it proves to be true. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's just it, I, this movie's just so insane. Like I, I really want someone to sit down with Jack Shoulder and like, let him know that you should actually have a command of the themes in your film. Yeah, because like, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that directors typically should do. Because I know he, I, I, I think he says it's like his worst film. Like I know he doesn't like it either. Um, it's well, just... he didn't get it. <laughs> no, it's so fast. <laughs> so of course, I don't like. I it's 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 like 
The only thing I can compare it to is when Michael Bay talked about West Side Story and didn't understand West Side Story. <laughs> <laughs> That's Jack Shoulder. Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. I, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's really wild to think about, though, because, like, I mean, this was clearly a tentpole movie, right? This was, like, yeah. it was, like, it was $3 million, it made $30 million, but It was their follow-up to, um, to a major they were hoping to start yeah, a franchise? I mean, so... <laughs> I, I don't understand, like, it, it, it's kind of wild to think that, like, somebody would, like, not even half-ass it. Like, like, like it <laughs> This movie mind. was full-assed. Yeah. I mean, no, but, like, like um, didn't he, like, famously, like, not even see the first one? Yeah. Yeah, and then when he did, yeah. he didn't like it. Yeah. Uh, wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, also, while we're talking about, like, um, like, the leather bar scene like can we just talk a second about robert shay's cameo it's <laughs> <laughs> the head of new line cinema yeah the, the dracula bartender great. like that <laughs> i want a whole documentary about him in that scene i also like how, how jesse like he just orders a beer i just want to talk about that scene in general like what the hell Okay, I think this is a perfect time. We've been kind of like digging in deep already in our reviews because you can't address the film and its undertones with without it. But let's pivot yeah. to explicitly talk about themes because there's so much. Yeah. <laughs> like, um. what you find folks got. I know, Luna, there was something you wanted to mention. Yeah, so a couple of things I thought about um, this time around watching the film through, you know, today's lens and in preparation for this podcast and I mentioned hopeful a hopeful theme earlier on and I there's a lot of imagery of like Freddie inside this kid and he's talking he literally says I want to be inside you it's Mm -hmm. anyway um so but I like as he was like shedding this with this at the end specifically when he's like Mm -hmm. after Freddie's been burned and uh, the like crispy corpse is moving and then it he sheds that crispy corpse which is anyway so basically I was like well you could go through this entire movie and say that homosexuality is this monster inside of you that's going to take you over and it's going to make you turn on your friends and kill everyone around you and your family and blah 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 or the way I took it this time is that you can look at it as like in that scene, I saw it as um, him like shedding the mask of heteronormativity and just mm. embracing what Lisa had been saying is that you don't, don't be scared. He feeds off of it. And so as he rose after that, I was like, okay, he has come out as he has come out of the chrysalis. And now he's going to go forward, unfortunately, with some mental health issues, um, as we see in the last scene. Like, I thought that that was a perfect uh, way to portray the lingering panic and anxiety as a result of of growing up in a Mm -hmm. hostile, heteronormative world. Um, And so, yes, you've been through trauma. You're going to have some lingering mental health. And then, of course, it goes off and blah, 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 the bus. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but this is the dip- this is new. Like, this is, this is post-chrysalis. Um, like, we're going to, I assume that at 
like if we're going to go through this whole thing again, that this time he's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. To, to add on to that, actually, what you just made me think of, in the opening nightmare, remember it's at the end of the bus stops. So the bus is empty except for like two other two girls. Right. And then mm-hmm. with this, his friends are here. Uh, right. More people are here. He has, and he like, shows exhibits way more confidence in terms of persona than he has in the entire rest of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's strength with others, strength through acceptance. Not and just, they uh, and they know, like for example, Lisa knows the struggles that he's been going through at that point. Yes, and and so it's not a meaningless community where like they it. don't know. Right, yeah. and Lisa's yeah. role is really interesting. Like I mentioned, I don't see her as the sexual, like the you know, sexual object of his eye or whatever. Um, but like, she is an important part of his life, um, as a romantic partner, if that's how you want to read it. Um, or, and, or not, or as just a best friend and her, I mean, we could talk about her character as well. We talked about how nuanced her performance was that character. I, I identify with so much, um, as like the support for someone that you love, but know that you can't access certain parts of them and -hmm. you don't necessarily need to, but you love them anyway and you want to do anything and you will do anything for them anyway. You don't have to have Mm -hmm. sex with somebody to be a primary support in their life. Right. Um, I I actually think that's such a good point. So I, I think that, Lisa's role in this and 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 it's heartbreaking in a way like um this time when I watched it I felt really really bad for her um because I don't know what her understanding of the situation is but um but her role in his life is invaluable and I think that that was a very powerful message I don't believe I mean if any if anyone knows me listening to this or any of y'all, you know that I hate, hate the idea that love will conquer all. Fuck that. Fuck that so hard. Um, But I do think that it's powerful, like you said, Andrew, to have community, especially Mm -hmm. for marginalized folks. We need it. Mm -hmm. And um, he has it at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She reminds me of the, uh, if y'all have seen, I love you, Philip Morris. Yeah, uh, she I reminds me of the Leslie Mann character. So, um, the so Jim Carrey's character is married, has you know the two point five kids, and secretly sees men on the side before he comes out and admits that uh, he's gay, and but he continues to have a relationship, like a good, loving relationship with this with Leslie Mann's character. Even though, you know, he left the family, he's going off living his life. Um, It's not a romantic relationship anymore, but she's still, even though like her character is written as a fairly conservative Christian, she accepts who he is and loves him and is 100% there for him regardless. And it reminds me, it kind of reads similarly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could see that. I have not seen that, but uh, yeah, that makes sense. Just on a 
a side note, does anyone else really just see her as like a young Meryl Streep in that movie too? She looks so yeah. much like Meryl yeah. Streep. She has, yeah. yeah, she was actually cast because she looked like her. <laughs> it's it's distracting. It's like her clone. It's it's like Meryl Streep in Deer yeah. Hunter. Like it's crazy. Yeah, I'm, the first time I watched it, I remember I was like, <laughs> so like it was annoying because it was on the tip of my tongue who she looked like. And I swear that I saw her before, but I didn't. Yep. And then, and then she grew up to be Oscar winner Meryl Streep. Yep. You know, I, I think like there's also kind of like a bigger thing that I wanted to bring up, which is like, I, like this is really something prevalent in like Disney films of like the queer coded villain, and mm-hmm. like I I I, I kind of have like this. Uh, I mean, and and it's not exactly a one to one because you know, like the um, like Freddy's obviously not the um, is the villain, but not the, the queer coded in any sense. But like right. Um, you know, it's like, I always like feel definitely like two ways because like going back to like Disney villains, like, uh, like, like Ursula, for example, like she's modeled, uh, after divine. I, I I think like, um, actually a pretty famous animator, gay animator, like, uh, did the model sheet, uh, for her. And, Mm. you know, I always thought like, like the villain was the most interesting, uh, quotable character so i guess i kind of never mind like when there's like some um like queer coding it with like disney and um i understand when, when people have the opposite uh reaction to that that's completely valid but you know i, I like to me like the 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 villain's like always the most interesting thing right so like mm-hmm. when you know um you know when you know you have somebody like jesse and you know, I don't know. Like, I guess maybe, like, maybe it is kind of a one to one. Like, maybe Freddie, if if we're subscribing to the fact that like Freddie's kind of like a metaphor for um, homosexuality, wanting to come out, and you're wanting to like kill it or suppress it. I mean, I, I guess like I always find, like I said, like the, the the villains to be the the more interesting, like meaty kind of parts. What what do you think about that? Like, I've always viewed Freddie as like the most personal part of us. He is. Because he's in the first film, he's her parents are divorced, and he's he's in a really aggressive metaphor for the secret the child didn't know that why the parents divorced. He he is that affair. He's that bitter secret that you were removed as as a child. And that realization that your parents are are human beings and they aren't perfect. Mm-hmm. And then in the second one, he's a metaphor for homosexuality. In the third one, it, it's um, you know. Uh, de- teen depression and teen anxiety and fifth one it's teen pregnancy and, and freddie's malleable in that way is that i think because he lives inside of us in, in our dreams which implies he's in our subconscious he's in the deepest deepest crevices that freddie can be whatever you really need freddie to be yeah. um mm-hmm. because it's it's who's dreaming him that matters i think the most because he always uses yeah. your fears mm-hmm. and your anxieties and your most personal things against you but he also uses your desires to lure you in. Freddy's a true predator. Yeah. Like he'll use whoever you are. Yeah. And he's adaptable and that's what makes him so frightening. And, Mm -hmm. and you know, I love that. Like no matter what the scariest thing about Freddy is that he's always part of us. Even, Mm -hmm. you know, cause you can't say his name. You can't think about him. You can't give him that power because that's what scares me about Freddy the most is we give him his power. Like as long as, we can remove this trauma from our lives and truly move past it. 
he can't exist. But because we're human beings, we can't. It's not always that easy, and we keep dredging him up. Yeah, it's kind of like that whole uh, phrase. Like, uh, and, th- and there's a whole book about this in-, in terms of dealing with concepts politically. But don't think of an elephant, you know, where mm-hmm. it's like to to actually evoke that, it becomes impossible to not think of an elephant. Yeah. Like, or for any concept, you know, the more you give credence to, the more you name it, the more you try to avoid it, whatever, all those things reify it. So, you know, Freddie works the same way. The, mo- the more you accidentally reify Freddie, the stronger he gets. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it, it comes to this thing where, like, so um, hopefully this isn't too left field, but like, I, I've been thinking a lot about like um, Space Jams too, and like how they have the, uh, no, no, just go, go, go with it. No, 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 Space Jam two, the final nightmare. No, no, listen, <laughs> it's a journey. Come with me. Um, I've been thinking a lot about like the trailer where they like um, so like you know it's Warner Brothers, so they uh, trot out all their properties, and you know like the Droogs are in. Uh, you know, essentially they're a part of the Space Jam's universe. And, and, you know, it makes me think about, like, so, like, you know, if anyone's seen that movie or read the book or both, um, you know, it's deeply unsettling. The Droogs do everything horrible and awful, but yet, you know, they're in this kids' movie now. Um, Like, they're packaged and marketed, and it's like, we almost have to do that to, like, take away its power and you know Mm -hmm. you know this is and and again so so here's where like this journey kind of ends um they they kind of do they they tackle this in west kramer's new nightmare where it's like literally you know freddy was so like you know evil and awful we kind of had to make him this packageable marketable thing to contain him um Mm -hmm. you know so i mean i think that you know, kind of applies to, you know, this, this film almost with rebranding. Uh, here's the thing about something that's going on as of late at this, uh, as of recently, um, all of these, uh, like mega conglomerates, corporations and companies are like rebranding their, you know, their logos for pride and just like throwing on rainbows to ship. And like, uh, you have to ask why, like, are, are they really, uh, like, doing mm-hmm. something or trying to do something for the LGBTQIA communities? Or are they just rebranding themselves to say, hey, we we would like to get more money from you? Yes. Pay you have wallets. We would yes. like them. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it, it's, I agree. And, like, I... I feel so like weirdly about that because like, I mean, like it would be like, I, I, I think about like, um, so I don't know if y'all know, but like Jeff Nelson, who does um, like, he's like the head of the screen factory brand mm-hmm. and they did this amazing thing. Um, I think it was, last year or no it wasn't it wasn't last year but it was like two years ago for pride they did like a pride sale they did like a special like rainbow babadook Mm -hmm. uh thing and and, you know but what was cool was like um like the entire sale like portion like a like 
I'm not sure what portion, um, but but a portion went to the Trevor Project, and like, see that that I can get fully on board with. Yeah, but it still shows just it's still just gross capitalism, you know, because it's 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 so they're transparent with it. Where yeah, it, I, I I see that, but like you know, Jeff's also. I mean, he's he's gay himself, and like I know, like I guess. Um, you know, I had like interviewed him and we talked about this. Um, and, and, you know, yeah, like you're right. It's some of it. Um, yes, some of it, not all of it is, is a little icky, but like, I, 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 I like when, you know, uh, it's not just like, okay, you know, spend your money here. It's like, spend your money here. And then like, we'll give some of it to a yeah that's definitely better and sometimes it is very sincere i'll say that like generally i have andrew's this is just crass commercialism read on it but the one the only positive thing about that is if we're looking at what they what we can infer from their crude marketing decisions Mm -hmm. is that they're reading the present and thinking well this is the the trajectory of what's going to win out Mm -hmm. yep yep and so on the plus side you know, they're like, fuck capitalism. However, it is kind of a positive that in this sort of cultural conflict between uh, rights and goodness and expansiveness and and the embracing of people that deserve to be embraced and people who are assholes who really wish they could be the type of assholes they could have been in, ni- in the 1700s, um, ca- the, the, the read is that rights and inclusion and diversity are going to win out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I agree. That is the only thing mm-hmm. that I find positive about any of that mm-hmm. black square bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, it's it, yeah. Creating a normalization for a lot of people is nice. And it's just, it just, I wish it was under a better pretense, but yeah. you know, fuck it. Like normalization is better than nothing. Yeah, and and I don't mean to like. I mean, I definitely didn't mean to like come off like to invalidate what you're saying, Andrew. Because I I I a hundred and ten percent agree with with you on that. Like, oh, not at all. Um, this is a worthy conversation, though, for the the LGBTQIA yeah community yeah. to have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, it's yeah. I mean, and definitely, and like, like I I guess I'm like somebody that like I try like even though. I, it's not like I don't see how cynical it is, but like I try to see the best in things, even though it's probably not really there. Um, which I, which I totally get, but like I, I guess that's just, I'm like an eternal optimist at heart. Um, that's just who I am. You know what? That's like something I, as a cynical person, (laughs) I wish I was. (laughs) Like it's just, it's, you know, there is good to come out of it, so I don't think we should ever turn our back to it. It's, But it is, you, you need to acknowledge what it is, and companies should do better. Because it, it our lives are not a very special episode. They're a thing we live every day. Yeah. So mm-hmm. stop treating it like it's like only a month out of, no, every minute and second of every day is spent. Mm-hmm. You know, and and just please, it's it's like stop it because it, it gets it gets gross, and I think part of me also just goes, you're trying too hard, and that automatically just turns me. Well, the that's fuck the, off. the the yeah, exactly. That's the only issue that I have with like 
Uh, I mean, I love the increasing amount of diversity in every, mm-hmm. you know, everywhere, but I hate when it looks forced. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. and so, cause sometimes yes. it looks very sincere, right? Like uh, the, the casting of yes. in the Heights, for example, obviously is exactly what it should be. It's diverse cast. That's great. Wonderful. Um, you know, that was exactly what it, the story needed and what it was intended to be to begin with. And I love it. Um, but sometimes it's just like, oh God, really? Yeah. Like you're just, it just, when a company just keeps pushing and pushing and then, but they only do it for these 30 days. And then yeah. it's just like, eh, you suck. Yeah. <laughs> there's, <Yeah. laughs> there's 335 days left in the year, asshole. Mm-hmm. You know? But, but I, I mean, uh, to get back to like Elm Street, um, I, I think that it's, it's so kind of mind blowing though, that in 85 we had, Yes, a openly gay actor uh, in a horror movie, like period. I mean, it sucks. I mean, well, he wasn't openly gay, though. I think isn't that the big distinction? He really wanted to come. People kept pushing the narrative that he was openly gay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I I take that back. He he wasn't like he was kind of more or less forced out of the closet after that. But like, um, I mean, so maybe I should say like we had you know a not openly gay but gay actor in a horror movie like in a in a very successful franchise you know like what what kind of blows my mind is like you know i you know people that that get down on this sequel and and, you know for valid reasons that we discussed but like just you know if they're talking about just like besides the awful context just its quality yeah it's not great but like it did make like 30 million on a three million dollar budget i feel like that's what people yeah. forget that it wasn't a, a flop right like it was right pretty successful yeah yeah it's um, it's it's, it's just a, it's just a wacky contradiction mm-hmm. of a movie you know yeah i but i, yeah. I just I, I feel like the, like part of the homophobia is like the fans ignore this movie even though because it, because of that right um, yeah. I mean, I get if you're avoiding the movie because of the cheesiness of the bed dance. Yeah. <laughs> I don't share that opinion. I think that every Nightmare on Elm Street film should have a cheesy bed dance. Yes. What's, but what I can say is like, you know, growing up as a, you know, uh, as a queer person completely surrounded by straight horror fans, when we watched it, it just didn't connect. Like, it was something to say is like, all my friends never approached the film at a homophobic level. It was like, oh, that's gay. I remember at one point, like, my friend was watching it in high school and he just started laughing. I was like, what? He's like, I just realized how gay this was. And he's like, but he's like, it's like, how could I never notice this before? You know, that's what the laughter was. It wasn't because everybody actually kind of, you, you feel for Jesse. And like, I, I just, it just, I oh, wish yeah, it was made. Trail. I just wish it was made under like better pretenses. Like a David Chaskin, yeah. just like you can feel this ugliness on the surface. And yeah. I love that Mark Patton and Robert England and like everyone involved in the cast didn't let that happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still just love like Robert England's like, no, no, no needs to be yeah. gayer. Like, yeah. <laughs> in a respectful way. I love it. Like I, I appreciate that because it's, it's funny that like Mark Patton, it, it it wasn't the cast that like, you know, nothing seemed to be directly like, it, it wasn't like a, a power ranger scenario where you hear about the blue ranger dealt with like deep homophobia from like directly on set all the time. It's mm-hmm. just, an, it's an uglier, almost like uh, uh, 
like structural homophobia, you know, because of, because uh, let's face it, it's Hollywood people. Like, it's Hollywood. That's like anybody's yeah, ever been in like. Between like right. intent and execution matters a lot. Yes. Yes. Like, case in point, Green Book, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. the intent was great. And it's the exact opposite <laughs> yeah. of this movie. The intent was noble yeah. and good. And the execution was, at best, a mi- mixed bag. I, I, I guess I, I want to wrap up my thoughts with like a question for you all. Um, do you think if Jack Shoulder was tuned into, because Jack Shoulder himself seems to be sympathetic, you know, like an ally. I, I would never say he's like an ill-intentioned man. Right. Um, do you think it would have, do you think it, it, how would the movie have, would it have steered towards like the kind of traditional uh, queer coded villain beauty versus beast? Or do you think it would have been a more sympathetic portrayal? Do you think if he had paid attention, do you think this film could have been like an absolutely fantastic, monumentally strange and audacious sequel that it almost wants to be? I think it's really hard. Like for me, at least it's really hard to say without knowing because I, I don't really have any reason to expect that mm-hmm. shoulder would have taken it in a, in a, in a more explicitly like homophobic direction or, or anything bad about him at all. But it entirely depends on where he stands. I think because I could see it either being rained down in the direction of the script, which is bad or in the direction of like altering where the script goes to, which as a director, it's his right to do and mm-hmm. leaning with the more progressive aspects and I don't know enough about him to really know. But what I'm saying is, like, maybe, like, if, if you had a more involved, creatively director, like, yeah. do you think, like, somebody could have been, like, there's really something going, toss out this garbage, disgusting crap. There's something going on here, and none of you seem to realize it. Let me tool it. Like, if we really had somebody who gave a shit, like... yeah. I mean, the thing is, so here's my my kind of take on that, is I think even if you had... Like, even if Shoulder was like, okay, you know, this is kind of where I want to go because it's interesting. And, you know, I want to, like, like somehow lean even more into it. Or, I mean, I still, I still, I mean, and again, this is where, like, the cynical part of me comes out. I, I don't think the studio would have allowed it. Like, I don't think they would have, you know, th- I mean, again, this was like, I mean, I guess $3 million is probably quite a bit in 85. And, you know, again... Not not only really just the, the dollar value, but like like a potential like entire series was kind of riding on the sequel, um, you know. So yeah. I, I I think that like even if you had somebody with with like a strong like through line that 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 they would almost have to not really bury it, but be really clever about how they presented it. Well, like uh, I keep thinking, you know, lest the studio kind of nix it. I don't know. I keep. I keep thinking about Ridley Scott and Alien and how he took what was initially pitched as a Roger Corman B film and made it like one of, you know, I think mm-hmm. one of the greatest films of all time. Um, like a, a good vision, a good director can do that. And and I'm just saying the movie they released is so kind of audacious for what is a tentpole film for cause Robert Shea fully admitted that. New Line Cinema was dead if Nightmare on Elm Street didn't make it. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, they didn't profit a lot because they were so far in the hole, and that Nightmare Two was still like a huge financial risk for them. Mm-hmm. 
and they still unleashed this insanely bizarre like for the time i mean even for now i don't think nightmare on elm street 2 even in its form as it is would be made yeah yeah. Okay, so here's my pitch. Here's my pitch. Okay, so we remake it, right? And it's even buyer. Everybody, <laughs> everybody likes everybody. Freddy Krueger comes around because he realizes he's just been like shitty, like hiding his true self the whole time. While he's like sitting in this kid's head. Everybody's just having a good time. The villain, a bunch of like really like weird conservative people being like, you can't be like a lot of uh, just a lot of stand-ins for the original writer. They come in, they're the villains, Freddy Krueger comes out, rips them into shreds, everyone has a happy ending. How about Freddy Krueger's long-lost older brother, Davy Davy Krueger? Yeah. And, I mean, this is a question for Andrew, but, you know, y'all can answer too. Like, but what do you think about, like, what I said about, like, it? Like, if you did have somebody, like, you know, if, if like, Shoulder actually kind of leaned in and embraced more like cognitively these themes if you think that they that they would even have you know the studio would have even let them i mean what do you think i honestly like my gut says no but then i look at what they released and it's like did the studio even really pay were they paying i i kind of have like a joke theory where it's like they got the coke that canon was like nah we don't want that and then like they accidentally <laughs> used that coke while they made Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Because that's my entire theory about, like, independent films in the 1980s that everybody was just on, like, insane, like, cocaine. Because it was Honestly, that school bus that, like, beginning, that begins and ends it was full of coke the entire time. Yeah, the whole time. <laughs> but, like, no, like, I, I, my gut says no. But, like, part of me thinks that I think a stronger creative voice might have been able to push for something a lot slyer than what we get. Right, but without being so, like, with being a little more co covert, but still getting a better message across, maybe. I think if Shoulder was able to catch on, he could have used that imagery of uh, Freddy breaking out of Jesse uh, as whatever allegory David Chaskin was really, like, trying to go for mm -hmm. and just uh saying we can uh liken this imagery to the uh the intent of the writer trying to use this as a weapon against a marginalized group of people mm -hmm. and then take that weapon just like freddie is trying to turn jesse into a weapon and say okay you are trying to use this against me. I know how this works. I know when when this is going to come on. <clears throat> Basically, um, what Heather does at the end of the first one is trap him, but use his own weapons against him, the same way that Dream Warriors sort of uh, uses as a plot device for that group of characters, um, which could have uh, worked in a way so that Jesse at the end of the movie is the inciting character for dream warriors. And he mm -hmm. is the one who uh, teaches everyone how to use the weapon against Freddy. That'd be interesting. I, I think uh, Jack shoulder could have like woke the fuck up and actually started doing that. But uh, yeah. So that that's my thought. And like, I, I think that Robert Shea would probably champion uh, like a director overhaul. Because if he was able to, to, to tell New Line Cinema, like, no, you want Robert England 
in your movie. We're going to give him a raise. We're not using a stand-in. Um, God, yeah. It's, I, I feel like he would threaten to end production if he didn't get his way. I love that the first one's so successful. And they were like, hey, okay, so uh, what if what if um, we don't have the guy that was behind the creature that was so successful <sighs> and um, had a nobody with no personality? It's what so if we did that? The level of incompetence on display in this movie is baffling to me. It's baffling. Yeah, and, and and it's not to defend that. And I mean, like, I think you would have to be insane to not think that Robert England was, was such a brilliant performer in the first film. I mean, the only thing that I can think of is maybe like we, I mean, we kind of have the luxury of hindsight of, okay, right. Like, so Robert England is such an, uh, an icon, like Freddie's such an icon, right? Mm. So I, I think in hindsight, it's like, it's pretty easy to be like, oh, you idiot. Like, why would you think that this would work with anybody else? I mean, and, and you know, yeah, I, I, know, I know you could definitely be like, yeah, I mean, he, he crushed it in the first one and he did like you wouldn't want to replace him. That's I'm not arguing against that. I'm just saying, like, I think, like, there's a little bit of hindsight that we have that, you know. Well, it's it's also there is a disturbing trend involving Robert Shea and creatives and him being a very uh, frugal man. I think a lot of it I just this is an allegedly thing. He probably just didn't want to pay because Robert England would have deserved a raise and he didn't want to pay it. And it's, it's a sad fact that, you know, as much as we love to wax poetic about the art of filmmaking, it's a business first for everyone who is in control. And that's like the disturbing reality of, of like, you know, the art, the medium as a whole is like every now and then you get somebody who's lucky enough to do what they want and mm-hmm. they don't care about the commercial because they know this is a brilliant artist and we're just going to let them do. I mean, David Lynch's entire career is an ode to that thought. Um, but it, it's a bit, and sadly the people who often make creative decisions and have final say on things are business minded folk. And there's a crasser we like to romanticize i think the medium a lot but it, it's it's a it's a business and i think a lot of decisions sadly just get summed up to bottom dollar mm-hmm. and bob shay's a bottom dollar kind of guy because i mean it's also looking into the financial history of new line cinema at that point you know everything pointed towards they couldn't spend a lot of money because they didn't have any and unfortunately Sometimes, you know, I think that can make creativity blossom, but it didn't sound like we had somebody who was interested in being creative. It sounds like we had somebody who worked for New Line Cinema as a trailer editor who they could get really cheap, who would pretty much get the movie done. Yeah, and and I like what you said. I think you said this before we started recording. Um, I mean, maybe he kind of Jar Jar Binks his way through this where it is <laughs> yeah. unintentionally kind of interesting, but not uh, maybe for like the best reasons. Um, I mean, I still, I, st- I, I mean, again, you know, not to echo my, my complicated feelings, but like, um, I mean, it does have a lot of interesting um, things going on. I just think that those things don't really come together that well. Yeah. It's, 
it's an oddly filling meal, but every ingredient is disparate. Yeah, I think it's definitely like the case of a film being accidentally more than the sum of its parts <laughs> in, in some ways. Um, but I, I, I still think that that it's it's a worthy dis- film to discuss, obviously. Uh, yeah, um, and I think whether you choose to re-embrace it or and, and reevaluate it or it doesn't ultimately hold up is one of those things that uh, I think it's worthy of redemption. I do. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah. definitely one of the more complicated films. And yeah. And, and, and like, it, just, just to echo that, like if, if you're somebody that, that, you know, is, um, you know, kind of hurt or offended by this movie. I think that you not, I mean, you kind of wanting to stay your clear of it's totally valid. What, where I also think it's totally valid if you want to um, reclaim it. I mean, I think, I mean, Andrew, I, I, you put it, I mean, beautifully, like it, it's just, it should be up to the individual. So I, mm-hmm. I, 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 the only thing I would say is like, if any of the listeners haven't seen it and just know it by reputation, I mean, just give it, uh, a try just give it like a, fr- a fresh pair of eyes um you know and, and again i don't think anyone's interpretation is necessarily right or wrong but um you know just give it a chance stay tuned for part two of this episode where we discuss hellraiser coming soon once more i'd like to extend a special thanks to our guests this episode and to all of you out there listening From the dawn of recorded human civilization, we've been fascinated by monsters and the monstrous. They've inhabited our dreams and nightmares, they've been our protectors and our villains, they've symbolized our fears and vices, our hopes and potential. Fears of creatures and the night that nourishes them were key inspirations and fuel for the rise of human civilization, the need to get out of the shadows, behind the walls, and into the light. In many ways, understanding our monsters is an important part of understanding our world and ourselves. So thank you for taking this journey with us, we humanoids from the deep dive.